for Monday the 23rd of May. This is Freely Geek FM. And welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 18 of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I really do have the pleasure, I always have the pleasure, it's the truth, it's, I'm being honest, I have the pleasure of chatting with Matthew Turland. We talk about a whole variety of topics, but one in particular is mental health. Now, Matt had so much great stuff to share, he was very generous with his time, he was very generous with the depth that he allowed me to to inquire to. So I'm not going to say much. I'll just say that I appreciate his honesty. I appreciate his time. I appreciate um, how giving he was. He has a lot to share, and I think it's a really important topic that we need to talk about, and one that still needs a lot more work. It still needs a lot more help to bring it further into the mainstream and have it be as accepted as going to a doctor for a, um, a rash on your skin or for a, a broken bone. Anyway. It's a really decent episode. So much to share. Don't let me, you know, keep you away from it. It's over to the fireside chat with Matthew, and I'll see you afterwards. So, how did how did that first talk come about? What sort of prompted? What pushed? Was it Cal Evans or or Beth Tucker Long? Um. So the first talk. I mean, I, I think I got out a fair bit of encouragement all around in the community. I think um, I, I came in um, late '05, early '06. Um, I had transitioned from working for an agency to a nonprofit where I was the only developer, so I kind of had to, you know, find some way to continue growing and developing outside of uh, the silo that was, you know, the one-man shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I found uh, the PHP Community Channel on Freenode. Uh, started talking with people. I went to my first conference, which was ZenCon in 2007, uh, and then a year later. Um, at that point, I was working for a company that was actually using Zen Framework uh, for a an application refactor. Uh, so I had you know, a fair amount of experience at the, by that point with the framework and with the community behind it. Um, I gave my first talk, which was on implementing uh, web services uh, with Zen Framework. We touched on both REST and SOAP. Um, in hindsight, the uh, the talk had too much content. I ended up running over time. Uh, I was very nervous. Um, uh, if memory serves, uh, that was a four conference track, uh, Christian Wines, who, if you haven't heard him speak before, I, I definitely recommend that he's a phenomenal speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, he was speaking in my, in the same time slot as I was, but he had some, uh, travel issues. He ended up not making it to the conference for his time slot. So the attendees that would have attended that talk ended up kind of filtering themselves out into the other three. Mm-hmm. So, and suddenly in a room with a hundred people. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a baptism by fire situation. Uh-huh. Uh, to top it off, my my I, was, I had a uh, a laptop running Linux, I believe, at the time that uh, refused to work with the projector. So I ended up having to borrow uh, Ben Ramsey's MacBook, and of course, I hadn't used a Mac in ages, so I'm fumbling with the keys and and you know just generally visibly anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I kept trying after that, uh, submitting proposals, giving talks on other subjects. Uh, even long after I, 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 I was not at the same job before, so I wasn't using the same frameworks, and, and there's been a lot of different changes. But overall, um, I think attending conferences, seeing a lot of other speakers speak, uh, obviously particularly the good ones, um, 
it, it helps. It, it's definitely just a matter of sort of repeat, and then eventually, you know, you'll 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 find your footing. Okay, so th- that's interesting that you went over time because I was talking to to Stefan Hochdorfer here, and he said in his first uh, in, in the first talk he ever gave, I think it was an hour, and he was pretty much done by half an hour. And he said, and I, "Sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead." He said he was he was he was concerned at the time, but he said they invited him back. So he said next time he he ran, I think it was about fifty minutes, and then sort of took time for questions. But he said it was kind of like the inverse of of that first experience of yours. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen similar experiences with other people. Um, I've seen people hit it right on the nose, like that Lone Star, uh, a first time speaker, uh, Nar from NPR. What? timed their talk pretty perfectly and I just enough time for QA. Uh, I saw at least one talk run short by a few, I think a good 15 minutes. So it's, and I've done that as well. Like even years later, I went to true North and I think a session or two of mine ran short. So it, it's difficult to time. Um, obviously being mindful of speaking slowly helps. <laughs> and I still have a problem with that. Um, but, uh, I mean, one thing that I've taken to doing in some of my presentations is, um, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll pad the content and I'll, and I'll put sort of the not as relevant stuff toward the end, uh, or not as important stuff. Um, and if I get to it, great. If I don't, you know, it's not, not really a big deal. So it gives me at least a little bit of flexibility as a speaker. That's interesting. Cause I was wondering about that when I was preparing the talks for PHP well, cause I looked at a lot of it and I thought this is definitely relevant but I didn't know about the rest of it. And it was a question of, do I leave it on the proverbial cutting room floor or do you leave it in? And it's, it's interesting that you structure it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's not, but from what I figured, there's no harm in leaving it in. I mean, I typically publish my slides online anyway. Um, so you know, there's nothing to stop someone from going in and, and still taking advantage of that content, even if it's not something that I'm able to present in the time period. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what would be... What would be the sort of the, the things that you sort of learned over the course of the of the years to to give a good presentation, and perhaps maybe more pertinent to me is to to maybe mask or hide that that sense of nervousness. Um, so I would say um, try your best to treat a talk as if you're having a conversation with one person, and you're just happen to be doing most of the talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it helps. Keeping in mind uh, things like, uh, I think human beings deal best with uh, stories, narratives, situations, things that they can remember, specific things about it that will sort of stick mentally. Um, and I'm still trying to develop the way that I present in that fashion. But um, the last presentation that I gave at Lone Star um, was a talk on Redis, and I made it fairly situational. I kind of wrote this narrative around, okay, you're, you're this person working at this company, you have this site that you're working on, and you're asked to do this thing or add this feature. Um, and it sort of helped to lay out specific use cases for the features that I, that I was presenting on. And I, I, I suspect that kind of helped a lot. Um, another was, uh, don't be afraid to be a little whimsical or to kind of be a little personal with the audience. Um, like in my case, on that, in that same presentation, I included, uh, um, sort of a few images, not really necessarily related to, to the narrative, although I kind of tried to tie them in, but, uh, uh, portraying different figures from, uh, uh, books, movies, things of that nature that I, I tended to have an affinity for that, you know, you sort of find in the, the geek subculture. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that I figured a lot, you know, I probably would have a fair amount of overlap with the audience. And uh, they, I think they found it, you know, amusing. It's, it's, at one point, someone started trolling and I responded in kind. And I think, I think people got a kick out of that. So, you know, <laughs> trying to make the information entertaining can be difficult, especially with some of the uh, drier topics I've presented on data structures, on Redis, and um, just, I don't know, I guess trying to put yourself in the audience's shoes and, and present a talk that you feel you would you know, enjoy attending yourself helps. That's interesting because at, at times I kind of wonder, cause I know I can, I'm, I'm very prone to storytelling and I don't know if, if I'm the only one who actually enjoys my stories. So I, I kind of wonder, does that relate or how would that relate to a more technical audience who I have this stereotype image that they just sort of there, I want the facts, give me the facts and then I'm going to leave. But that you say it can relate quite well. I don't know, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by that. I was really heartened by that. Yeah, I mean, like, within about, it's, I think, scientific studies have said that it's going to be about an hour that you can have someone be able to sit and focus on something before you just start losing them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, about 15 minutes, I say, is a good aim for a talk, and that most conferences tend to use that measure. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, I think people don't necessarily just want the content because that on its face can be. You know, it's it's dull. You may remember some details, but um, I think it's sort of that personal touch that kind of helps the information stick. Okay, I like the point you said about storytelling because a, a a friend of mine from the UK told me once that storytelling should still resonate. I mean, I don't have any facts or, or studies behind this to back it up, but it was more anecdotal. But he mentioned that he believed that stories still worked really well because. What for the perhaps the entirety of human history, we we don't really had stories to pass information along, so I guess we sort of become engendered to to resonate with that what the most as opposed to sort of facts, um, not as much. I very much agree, and I think to that effect, we still have a, a very associative memory. So even if someone doesn't necessarily remember the technical information you present, you know, directly mm-hmm. the story itself, they'll probably remember, and that will kind of lead them to. The information that you gave them. That's really heartening. I'll, I'll definitely have to get in and start applying to CFPs again. There is, there is one down uh, over in, in, in uh, the Czech Republic, I think in July, and I think the CFP runs till the end of April, so I'll have to have a go. <laughs> is there anything, I, I guess, is there any sort of major don't do's for conference speaking, like, like one or two or maybe three things that you should perhaps never do? Maybe uh, just from your own experience, or maybe something that might not be as obvious. Um, don't rely on internet. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of presentations go down that way. Um, rely on like local video if you absolutely have to, um, or animated images. Uh, you know, pre-record demos. That's another good one. Uh, I've seen a lot of live demos go down in flames. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously keep your slide deck as local as you can, but yeah, just overall don't rely on it because it's probably not going to be there when you need it. <laughs> um, I mean, beyond that, uh, not really much that may be obvious. I mean, uh, speaking slowly is something you can emphasize, you know, as much as you like, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to remember it, but I mean, it is important and I think it will, it very much helps your pacing. Uh, it helps so that you don't lose anyone. Um, uh, another is first law of the theater: speak loudly enough for people to hear you. Uh, a lot of people aren't used to being able to to project their voices, and that's kind of important in a room, especially where the uh, the mic may or not, may not be working very well. 
Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there aren't, there aren't a lot of things that I, uh, that I've come across over the years that aren't necessarily obvious. Um, I would keep a, a beverage handy, like water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, t- I tend to get dry mouth a lot when I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, and I guess beyond that, just, you know, tr- try to have fun. That, that's, you know, you're, you're bringing yourself to this event. You're trying to, to present information to these people. And to a certain degree, yes, that is an obligation. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't have fun doing it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, sort of, I think it resonates quite a, quite a lot with, I guess, the limited experience I've had. Um, one bit of advice I got was from from an Australian speaker called Troy Hunt, and he, I know maybe just because he's been doing it for such a long time, but he says he sort of he has to have everything down to to almost sort of times perfection. Where he said he will, as he prepares the the talk and then rehearses it. He'll have, I, th- I think he has an iPad or, or maybe like a Windows tablet um, available and he'll have uh, in his notes, like at, at this point I should be you know, 10 minutes in, at this point I should be 25 minutes in and so forth. And he'll increasingly practice with the iPad and a, and a, um, a timer going to see if, he, if he's, you know, how he's sort of keeping the time and then he'll have it sort of sitting there just off to the side, something he can, he can glance at without um, being obvious to the audience that he's doing that to keep himself paced. I mean, I don't, I'm not aware of people I know directly who sort of uh, put that much attention to detail. But I mean, that was, it was something I kept in mind, something I tried to do. I think it helped with the talks that I sort of run, ran roughly to time. It also kind of helped that my nerves were kind of kicking in pretty heavily that I think it sort of counterbalanced that roughly I should be here. Okay, slow yourself down and try and, you know, breathe a bit more. But, yeah, it was it was interesting to sort of see that someone was was that uh, w- would it be fair to say pedantic? <laughs> uh, possibly. I mean, I think it's it's attention to detail is a good phrase. Um, and I, I've known people who have taken a similar strategy. And I, I mean, it's not a bad one, and especially for I think a first time speaker, it um, it helps a lot with just I, I think, like you say, uh, you know, mitigating your nerves so that you know where you're supposed to be if, and you have some sense of whether or not you need to speed up or slow down because there are a lot of occasions where you might be leaning on the audience to respond, you know, like asking if they have any questions and a lot of times you'll just get crickets. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, I personally, I, I've done it enough that I've kind of got a feel. I don't, I don't generally run under too much anymore. Um, uh, I do tend to put my phone in desk clock mode and uh, set it aside just so I have some kind of a uh, an indicator for you know where we are in the talk because mm-hmm. I generally have gone over the slides enough by that point that I know where I am in the deck. Um, so I mean, you can still you know do something similar, not necessarily be specific about about markers, just kind of you know get a feel for the presentation. Okay. So I guess not being as specific. Um, as you said, you've talked to conferences both in the States and in Europe. Do you feel that they sort of run quite similarly or would you say there are sort of uh, distinctions which were, um, well, sorry, differences which were distinct enough between the two to, um, to sort of separate them and how they perhaps do things differently? Um, I mean, I've only, admittedly, only had the one example in Europe, which is the PHP UK, which was this past February. Mm-hmm. Um, I am hoping to go to more European conferences, but 
Um, using that as an example, uh, I mean, one of the things that was obvious sort of right off the bat was that the UK was much bigger than any conference I'd been to. Uh, a lot of the um, US conferences tend to run roughly between 300 to 400 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UK was closer to 1,000. It's um, a pretty big one. Yeah, and the uh, the venue, they it's it's very nice venue. It's very close to the hotel. I think they're they may be outgrowing it. I don't know that they can find a much better one in the area, but um, I, I tended to feel a little claustrophobic. All that's you know uh, a me specific thing, but mm-hmm. it it was definitely crowded. Um, um, I mean, beyond that, I honestly I didn't notice too many differences. Really, it, it's kind of amazing how. Uh, how similar things were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trip from the airport was certainly longer. <laughs> yeah, London's. Uh, yeah, London's yeah, weird that way, or just hectic. Yeah, I mean, I just yeah, but not just. Uh, I had to take the tubes from the airport. I think I had to uh, get off at like one interchange and switch. But um, no, overall it was. Uh, I mean, it was it was interesting. That's uh, I live in New Orleans, uh, and there is public transit here, but. Um, I have my own vehicle here and typically mm-hmm. things aren't very far away. Like I can get to the, from the airport to pretty much anywhere I need to within 15, 20 minutes. Oh, um, you suck. You totally suck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you know, admittedly it's, it's not exactly, uh, uh, environment friendly sort of circumstances here as far as travel is concerned. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely a bigger emphasis on public transit in Europe versus the U S but, um, I mean, as far as the conference itself, uh, I mean, nothing that I re- that really stood out to me. Okay, that was really distinct. It is, like I say, it's it's interesting how similar we are. Yeah, it is, it is sort of funny that way. Um, I admit, I I love I I love going to PHP UK. Although I wasn't there this year, I think I'd been every year uh, for the last six years. But just sort of circumstances changed this time around. Um, I always love the brewery. It's sort of that to me. It's like a sort of quintessentially London or London more than English kind of venue. Um, <laughs> but riding the tube, yeah. The, the last the last job I had in London, besides having a, a, a sort of a fit of claustrophobia at <laughs> one moment, which was odd. It sort of came out of I'd, I'd been there for what, about three years, and just this one day, like my 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 well now wife and I were were riding, and and it was a packed out morning at about. 8.30 a.m. And it's usually packed from something like 7 a.m. anyway. And I just stood there and I just freaked out. I couldn't do anything. And she just looked at me. was like, well, what's going wrong? And I said, I just can't get on that tube. And she said, oh, you're going to be late for work. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be, that's right. I'm going to be late. But it was, I think it was just, I, I came from a, I was born in a town of about 72,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't really have a lot of public infrastructure. It kind of has some buses and, and that's about it. And sort of buses, taxis and, and sort of all um, uh, that kind of transport. And I'd, uh, I'd lived in Sydney and then had moved to London, you know, keeping a long story short. And I think something about after having that daily commute, and it, it all sort of came to a head in that moment. And it, it passed, and like now it's just okay. It is what it is, and you you just sort of know how the rhythm works. But yeah, it was this odd experience just to sort of be overcome by it just in that moment. Um, but anyway, segueing back to conferences <laughs> from my random story. Um, yeah, London is it's 
without the public transport, the whole city would just grind to a halt. And it does. Whenever the tube breaks or the, there's a bus problem, you find out just how extremely reliant the city is upon those, uh, those structures. I believe it. <laughs> but anyway, coming back to, to conferences, and I've totally lost my train of thought. I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> um, would, okay. Uh, on, on the point of conferences in the States, is there, or the States and uh, the continental United States, is there a particular conference that is, is your favorite or you sort of feel is an example of a really well-run conference? You know, the one that sort of, it just has its rhythm right. Everything seems to just flow, uh, flow beautifully. Um, I would probably say it's a toss-up between PHP Tech and Lone Star PHP. Mm-hmm. Actually. Um, both of them are very well run. I've uh, uh, been to Lone Star a few times now and Techly a few times now. Um, I mean, there are, there are several other regional conferences that I think are still fairly well run. Uh, Midwest I went to this year was very good. Um, I've been to uh, Sunshine in the past. Um, I think uh, Pacific Northwest is another that's sprung up recently that I would like to go to. Um, but yeah, overall, I think in terms of um, in terms of being there as a speaker in particular, I think that those two are kind of my top two, and I'm, I feel very fortunate that I was accepted to both this year. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I, 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 Lone Star in particular, like I, I really didn't have to think about very much of anything. The uh, the conference organizers arranged for transport from the airport, the hotel, you know, the airfare, um, you know, uh, conference rooms were uh, for the talks were ready uh, with you know mic, sound gear, per, uh, pretty much everything that was needed, short of a uh, an HDMI adapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's there was plenty to do while I was there. I got home feeling very much in need of sleep. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I'd say that's a, that's a pretty good indicator of uh, the time well at. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you, if you come home feeling refreshed, I think something's wrong. You ask yourself, did you really go? Yeah, there was no question this time. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to, to Joe Ferguson after um, – PHP world and he was just listing off this litany of things that he was doing and I thought yeah I'm not sure if I could if I have the stamina to keep up with that it's yeah world I mean it's a good conference I've only been I was uh, there for the inaugural year actually I gave a an introductory tutorial on uh, object-oriented programming mm-hmm. um, it's definitely a great conference especially for sort of being able to see um, the sub-communities of the P- overall PHP community community, excuse me, that uh, in the past have been kind of disparate, um, you know, like Drupal, WordPress, Magento, and then any number of others, the framework communities as well. Um, you know, it's, I think it was a nice change of pace, a different crowd, uh, getting different perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really glad that uh, the PHP architect decided to organize it. I think it was something that was kind of, I think that was needed for, for a number of years. Yeah, it definitely seemed to be, uh, as as this theme sort of came up quite strongly again um, last year, just getting my ears right there, um, in in that, yeah, I don't feel, I, I agree with them, I think when they said that a lot of developers, they sort of perhaps start off in a particular framework or, or sort of tool such as WordPress or Joomla and something, and and that is sort of development for them, it's it's not... Uh, they don't necessarily seem to appreciate that it's sort of built on a language and there's a lot more with it. 
and I guess it can be perhaps easy to then become siloed into just doing um, that type of project and not sort of saying, oh, wait a second, there's actually a sort of whole wider world outside around me. And I really liked how they, they put the effort in and I guess and continue to do so to, to try and, you know, foster that um, adoption, foster that understanding and, and that sort of wider community interaction. I agree. Um, and I mean, to, to a certain degree in our, in our vocations, we sort of have to specialize. Um, I, I've, I have done things with other languages, with other frameworks, you know, that I've gotten at least a small amount of sort of polyglotism, uh, uh, to my credit, but, um, yeah, I think it can be easy, especially in the beginning to sort of find a framework or a CMS or what have you. And, uh, and I guess kind of get tunnel vision. Um, I think the, the Drupal and community, I think is a really good example. It was relatively insular for, for a while, but, um, in, in recent years, uh, I think it, there's been a lot more, uh, cross pollination, uh, in the conferences and, uh, it's adoption of Symfony 2 as its core for Drupal 8 and a number of other third party packages for some functionality that previously had been, uh, sort of homegrown in Drupal and wasn't really used apart from it. Um, have all been really good things. It's funny you mentioned Drupal. Um, there was the, I think it was the Drupal 8 party or Drupal 8 was announced, I think, um, on the last day of the conference. And I had a very uh, excitable chat with, with Larry Garfield, I think, at one stage during the conference. And, and he was extolling uh, all of the hard work. I mean, to his credit, I'm not in any way meaning that sarcastically. He was just, I think at the end of, uh, sort of very relieved that it was all done, very, also very proud of it. And so he's to sort of get, you know, the, the um, what would you say, the, the, the mother load of information all in a very short space of time. Yeah, Larry's good at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, they, they, they really have done a lot. Uh, if you, just looking at, the, uh, the, at some of the issues that I've seen him and, and other people like, uh, like Angie uh, Wojcik uh, tweet, over time, as Drupal 8's been in development, they've, 8 was a very large accomplishment, and uh, I think they have every right to be very proud of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I've seen Larry talking uh, not just about Drupal, but about functional programming and PHP's own evolution and a number of other topics. And uh, it's, I think the, the Drupal community is very lucky to have him. He's definitely been a cheerleader for them for, for a number of years. Oh, yeah. His, his, in, his infection um, is, is hard to not have it rub off on you, definitely. <laughs> Have to say, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was honestly sort of quite uh, quite interesting to to listen to what he had to say. Um, and so, I guess in that way, it's if you have so much to share, it's it's good that you can do it sort of so effectively and so quickly. But um, yeah, definitely had to to him for uh, for that release. What do you think? Uh, I guess sort of moving slightly away from sort of conferences and, and so forth. What do you feel um, has been maybe the most significant change of so PHP over the years that you've been involved in it? If I can, if we can sort of boil it down to one or two things. Um, that is a good question. I would probably have to say, um, uh, probably namespaces and composer, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, between the two of those things, I think they were able to give us a level of being able to exchange code that I think Pear attempted but never really quite uh, got there. Um, mm -hmm. 
um, to a large degree, I think, I mean, obviously namespace has made it possible t- for us to be able to, uh, to sort of you know, maintain our code in separate uh, groups and, and avoid collisions. And then, of course, Composer's been all the rage in the community the last few years as far as being able to pull in project dependencies uh, in a sane way. Uh, and, and perhaps to Jordi Bojano for, for all of his work on that project. It's, uh, it's, I think it's brought the community a ways in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that was sort of the, the technical side of, um, of having that cross-pollination that I mentioned earlier and being able to just technically facilitate that. I think to a large degree, um, we were kind of able to, to put the onus on, on the technical side of things to let us through and, and let us accomplish that. And now that it's happened, I think it's, you know, we're finally starting to see the social side of it come around and, and people being able to actively make use of those things in the community to the point where it becomes, you know, fairly mainstream. What do you feel about PSR 7? What's, what's your feelings on that? Um, I think overall it's been a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's to some degree it's brought us in line with the frameworks as far as a standard that you know you can learn one standard and then be relatively uh, productive at least in part to start with on and uh, within those different frameworks. Um, I like that the Guzzle project has adopted it. Um, it's just it's made uh, I guess a part of the core that was not necessarily conducive to the way that we do things now with you know objects and dependency injection and so on and so forth. It kind of, I think, provided a user land implementation of what we probably thought those things would have looked like if they had been invented today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's definitely, as a, along with PSR 0 and 4, it's probably one of the uh, bigger standards that, as far as impact on the community overall. Um, and I think it's definitely influenced the next generation of frameworks. So, um I think it's sort of set a precedent. Like up to that point, I think the the fig group um, had been noticed, but in terms of the standards, they had been adopted. I don't think I think people kind of went along with it because they were good ideas, and to some degree, after they were all riddled out, they were kind of sort of obvious to everyone. Like, why didn't we do it this way the whole time? Mm-hmm. Uh, but seven, I think it took a lot of thought, a lot of discussion. That was. From, and I wasn't even participating, but from what I gathered, was you know very tedious, very painful in some spots. But um, I, I'm very happy with the results, and I think that standard kind of put Fig on the map for a lot more people. Um, so um, I, I think the group is sort of coming to terms with that attention, and then to some degree, I guess the sort of responsibility that's implied to go along with it. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see where things go from here. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I guess moving sort of that that little bit further away uh, from sort of PHP specifically, you've sort of been uh, what, uh, involved or, or like a passion of yours, if I'm right, is is looking at uh, open sourcing mental health. It is. Um, I'd say that as far as heavy proponents who sort of have their hands uh, in the you know, in the mix with that, uh, Ed Finkler is probably one of the larger figures, but, um, you know, as someone who has had mental health issues in the past, uh, and has kind of seen the, the stigma, uh, that they've sort of had in society and, and wanting that to change, uh, yeah, I'd definitely say I've at least some level of presence. Um, so, 
I remember sort of a landmarker for for this is some time ago. Um, uh, a man by the name of Patty Ferrand, who's a good friend of mine, uh, started a project called Gets By, and it was sort of a a series of uh, posts where people could submit to the project uh, sort of their own story uh, and other issues, strategies they use to try to overcome them, you know, where they are now. Um, and, and seeing people participate in that project was very inspiring. Uh, it made me, I think, a lot more willing to kind of to share my own story. It was about, let's say, 14 years ago now, a uh, little less. Um, I finally was admitted to uh, to a hospital for uh, depression and spent a week there. Um, and I, I still struggle with it these days. Uh, therapy, medication, I never found to be very effective in treating it. And to add to that, it wasn't long after I got out of the hospital that we learned that my then fiance, now wife, was pregnant. So mm-hmm. that, um, that, I think, sort of helped push things into perspective. Okay. Um, but, you know, like I say, it, it helps a lot seeing other people and, and knowing that you're not alone in the fact that you're struggling, just getting by in day-to-day life and then having to deal with this on top of everything else that everyone else has to deal with. Um, it must be tough. I mean, it, having other people to talk with helps a lot. Um, like I say, just knowing that you're not alone in it, because that's, I think, one of the biggest factors in it is that the the disease itself has a way of making you feel isolated from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it takes a, a lot of I guess, focus, want, drive, desire. I don't know the quite know the word for it, but um, you have to make a point of, uh, I guess, of trying to get past it and find people and just get through it, you know, together. And I, I think uh, I like that there are a lot of people that have come come out of the of the works and and. You know, participated in projects like Gets By, uh, and, and have attended talks like Ed's on, uh, on open sourcing mental health, um, trying to lessen the stigma, raise awareness of it uh, in in companies, businesses, and so forth. I think I think overall things are are turning in a good direction in that respect. Uh, at the very least, it's something that we're talking about now. Whereas before, I think it, the topic was almost sort of taboo, and that's nature. Definitely from an Australian perspective it was. It was in the, uh, I think my my, my exact time uh, alludes me, but I think it was in the mid-90s. Up until that point, well, my perception anyway, up until that point in Australian history, it was very much you just didn't talk about it because it was, it had all kinds of negative connotations, whether that was, and especially if you were male. It seemed to be more acceptable, and I, I say that with reservation, if you were female, but if you're male, it was all these kind of negative connotations like you weren't able to cope, you were somehow less of a person, and it, it was it was really questionable. And it was, perhaps I give him too much credit, but it was one of the um, former state premiers who was known to be a real hard man in politics, who surprisingly, and I think he surprised a lot of people in the wider community, came out and, and acknowledged his own struggles with, I, th- I think, depression. Um and ended up after he left politics, he he became the I think the, the the manager or the head of an organization called Beyond Blue, which was specifically tasked with, uh, I guess from an Australian perspective, removing that stigma and bringing uh, an appreciation 
of mental health into the mainstream and saying, look, it's if you go to a, if you have like a rash on your arm or if you break your leg, you go to a doctor. So if you have a mental health, um, you know, if there's something, some issue there, why should it be any different? And and I think their their remit was just to 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 let it be. You know, it's it's just an it's it's not to be stigmatized. It's not different. It's there's something that you need help with. And he's through that organization, they've done a lot of work. And I think it's really the, 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 there's been like a a significant shift in perspective in, in the intervening years, which is, which is quite good to see. But is there, is this, do you feel there's sort of some, something like that? uh, Or is there something like that in the States or is there something like in a more uh, from a developer specific level, like something, if someone feels that they've been dealing with something for some time on their own and they now want to uh, sort of seek external assistance, is there like an organization or a group or a, a project that um, where they could turn to to, to get that support? Um, I definitely say that the atmosphere is similar insofar as how it, it's been looked at in the past. Um, uh, I mean... Uh, I think Ed could probably speak much better to uh, particular resources and organizations that uh, can help with these sorts of things uh, than I probably could in the moment. Um, uh, just looking for his, his talk, open sourcing mental health, he'll probably find links to a number of different resources. Um, but um, I think, I think honestly, a lack of empathy in a lot of different respects, not just with mental health, but with other things has been a, a growing problem. In the states, um, and I think in the developer community in particular, uh, to some degree, it's, it's an issue. Um, as well as I, I don't have any stats off the top of my head to back it up, but I'm pretty sure depression is kind of a, a sort of a widespread issue, um, along with things like alcoholism. Um, I think. I can tell you that the older that I've gotten, I've become less content with just um, putting out a product or writing code or, you know, get it collecting a paycheck. Um, I think we kind of get to a point where we really want our work to impact the world around us. And if we feel that it's not that, well, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's obviously doesn't cause mental health necessarily, but it, it doesn't help either. So I think, and I know that Ed's and a number of other people that have, um, that I've sort of seen in the same community and circles around him have have sort of tried to preach empathy and kindness. And I'm hoping that takes root eventually. I think a lot of people just tend to be like a lot of us have I've gotten used to just giving into whatever first reaction we, we may have to a situation rather than taking a moment, stepping back, you know, considering our position and the other person's. Um, I, I think empathy is kind of a good first step, just sort of overall. Uh, I think I think we have to take a, a more time to try to understand each other and, and where we're coming from. Um, yeah. And I mean, there there are plenty of people on, in the community who you know will, will freely share this story with you. Will. Um, I guess to a, to, to a degree, you sort of commiserate, um, or at the very least, just try to relate to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think we have 
from what I've seen, uh, probably one of the better communities for that simply because there are so many of us that, that are affected by this. So, um, you know, even if you don't necessarily reach out for, for a mental res health resource directly to start, if you aren't sure, um, you know, just talk to people in the community. Just listen to, to what they have to say about it. I, th I think that on its own, um, like I said, that gave me some comfort. Okay. I Thanks for, for sharing. I, I hope it wasn't um, sort of asking sort of all probing too deeply there. No, no, it's all right. It's fine. It's, it's interesting that you sort of say that and that the PHP community is as friendly and, and uh, welcoming as it. Because I was, I was reading something this morning, I think it was about the culture at HubSpot and how it was all sort of go, 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 go. Okay, you've fallen by the wayside. Well, that's your problem kind of thing. So it's, I guess, just reading that story as recently as, as it was, it's, it's really heartening to know that at least the community we're in can be so, uh, such a, uh, an accepting place. And I have heard stories of, and people have reflected on being parts of other communities where it's just, you don't fit a certain mold, that's it. So it's nice to, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that there. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen a few different communities uh, and I think there's sort of an overall tone. Java, I think, is, is kind of, a little steep in its sort of enterprise roots. Uh, Python, I think, tends to be kind of almost academic to a degree. Um, the PHP community, I think, it's I mean, to me, it's almost been like a second family, quite honestly. Mm. Just you know, we so many of us are friends. You know, we we see each other at conferences. We enjoy being able to spend time around each other. It's it's you know, we speak to each other it's, even outside of work, and then. And do things uh, contribute to the same projects. It's, I mean, uh, at one point um, a few years ago, I actually uh, was coming up at a point where if I didn't start using some of my PTO at work, I was going to start losing it because uh, okay. I had a gap. So um, I was considering what to do. I wasn't really sure. That I wasn't honestly the type to take vacations. That's how I'd gotten into that situation. <laughs> um, so. Um, uh, my wife actually made the suggestion that I, I look at maybe taking a road trip, going out of town, doing something. So I thought about it, and I realized, well, you know, there are a lot of people that I would like to see that I don't really get to see very often, mostly at conferences, if you know, if if at all. Um, so I talked to a number of my friends who lived in the southeastern U.S., and uh, they said, well, you know, drive out here. You know, I'll put you up, I'll feed you, and send you on your way, and we can have a nice visit while you're here. Uh, and it, I, that's exactly what I did. I was on the road for about 10 days. I went to, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Austin and Dallas over in Texas, uh, you know, stopped in, had, you know, drinks or dinner with their friends and sat up talking till all hours. And it was, it was a really amazing experience. I was, and I felt very fortunate that I had people that, you know, I had that, sort of relationship with that that was something that i could do mm -hmm. that sounds that sounds honestly like a magical experience something i'd i'm really envious of i i what i'm gonna say i i definitely recognize that it's not you know i, I don't see that that's something that commonly happens or that i commonly hear about happening uh in the world in general or in the community so yeah i, I felt very fortunate that i i had friends in the community feel like that that I, I could have that sort of experience because, yeah, it was amazing. Just being able to see 
these people outside of you know their jobs or uh, outside of a conference setting, and just being able to interact with them on a bit more personal level and um, just you know share experiences. Uh, there, there, there were certainly points where you know uh, the talks went into the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, you know, I got home. I I got home, and despite that, it, you know, it was a long trip, and I'd done a lot of driving. I I felt sort of renewed and reinvigorated. Okay, yeah, it's, that's something I haven't I haven't done a road trip since I think I was just out of university, and I think I think the last one uh, I may well be wrong. Well, it was it was a random spur of the moment thing, and some friends arrived. I I was in a share house with some good friends, and some other friends arrived on a Friday, and we just randomly decided that one of us had a sister or a brother um, uh, way down the coast, and how about we all just randomly decide today that we're just going to go, and we all looked at each other and had a laugh, and then said, "Well, it's four thirty in the afternoon. We could be there, you know, about ten o'clock." All right, and so yeah, so uh, an interesting random weekend, but a lot of fun with a lot of good friends and shoots. So yeah, I'm, I'm really envious because it's been a really long time since I've done anything like that. Uh, generally, it's been a good four years since I have. So it's an, um, I've, I've thought about doing it again. Um, it would take some doing at the mm. moment. I'm down to a single vehicle, and of course, my my wife and children would probably need that in my absence. So yeah. uh, it would it would take some doing, but. Um, Maybe it'll happen eventually. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, I think we're we're sort of coming round to the to the hour. Um, is I guess I have one more little question before we, we wind up. Is that you mentioned a whole series of places in in I in the southern United States for someone who hasn't been there as yet? That being me, because I've been to what L.A. and San Francisco and Hawaii on the west coast, and New York and Washington on the east. For someone who's never sort of been to that area of the states. Um, What's what's the absolute must have? Like one thing that you've you've got to do if you find yourself uh, in the area, as wide and geographical area as that is, I appreciate. Um, well, one standard, something that the, the first thing that comes to mind, the food. <laughs> Quite honestly, the food, um, especially in the area of the country that I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, having just come back from Lone Star, uh, obviously meat barbecue, those things were uh, a very um, visible element of the event um but also in new orleans because it's such sort of a melting pot of uh cultures and especially cuisine um that's one thing that i would definitely miss about this state if i were to leave it and, and I'm, i would imagine you know they're not the only places but they're they're sort of focal places in the south but that's true and it's um and it's not just the food itself but also sort of the culture that seems to go around it you know sharing a meal with people uh, uh, crawfish boils are a good example of, of that sort of thing that happens here where that's true that they're really intended to sort of bring people together and that's definitely an inherent part of the culture that I think you'll notice so that that's if I had to say one thing that's probably that would probably be it yeah okay well I'll definitely uh, have to endeavor to get there that sounds very um, qualified an answer um, but as we're wrapping up is there anything that you would like to promote whether that's an upcoming book a talk, uh, where you're working at the moment, or anything in general? Sure. So um, I'm currently working at, uh, when I work, uh, of course, they're hiring, whenIwork.com. Um, uh, I would definitely 
encourage people to check out uh, phpmentoring.org. I've been involved in that project for some time, and it's if you're looking for to uh, impart knowledge to others or to find a mentor yourself, it's a, it's a great project. Um, you can find me at matthewtrailin.com, uh, and I will be at PHP Tech uh, toward the end of next month speaking on uh, Redis and on what makes a great developer. So Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for agreeing to come on the show and being so open with me. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So what did you think about the chat with Matthew? I mean, I really enjoyed it. There were moments, I have to admit, where I kind of wondered if I was probing too deeply. Um, Matt did say in in the part of the chat, like after the official recording, you know, when, well, when I stopped recording, that he said it didn't matter, you know, if he felt there was a problem, he would have said something. And that generally he's a quite open person. I guess lucky for me, right? Perhaps some people might feel that I was probing too deeply and that I was sort of getting, you know, sort of probing, getting too deep in, into sort of sensitive matters. I'm glad Matt wasn't that person. What did you think? Did you think I went too far? Did you think I didn't? What was your take on, on the look at mental health and, and mental health specifically within the realm of software and computer science and the IT tech industry? Personally, I, I think it's still something that isn't treated properly. It's still something that is seen as what would you say, something scary? Uh, it still definitely has a stigma attached to it. I'd like to say that there's a fantastic number of, or ever-increasing number of projects which are helping to turn the tide on that. I mean, Ed Finkler is doing a fantastic job here, and, and I believe also Kayla Daniels. I'll have some notes in the show notes, as always. And I, I guess I just want to say, I'm, I'm sort of waxing lyrical musing here, that I'm really glad that people such as those two and others, you know, Matt himself, are spending the time and, and putting themselves out there to help turn this around because it's a serious issue. It's a serious issue that should be seen as, in my eyes, as normal as, as I said during the chat, if you go to a doctor, you know, you, you have an ailment, you have a rash on your skin, you go see a doctor. If there's something regarding mental health, you should go get that checked out too and that shouldn't even batter an eyelid with anybody. Anyway, those are my two cents worth on it. I encourage you that if you feel that there's something that you need to talk about, you know, get get stuck in there, go do that, or I'd like to encourage you to do that. I'll try and provide as many links as I can. Matt has been wonderful and given me a whole host of them. So definitely check out the no note. <laughs> Sorry. Check, definitely check out the show notes at freethegeek.fm forward slash episode forward slash episode hyphen 0018. And I'll see you in two weeks for the next fireside chat.